all has meaning every bit of it none of it's random it's all uh chosen for a reason interesting oh look at that what the frick so creepy antlers on which is perched an owl a deer and you got a little peacock feather action coming out of the forehead look at their art is just i mean it's all it's all symbolic yeah uh, one of you out there mentioned that um yeah take a take a look through occult art sometime um and just look at what look at what jumps out at you you'll you'll be shocked by some of the stuff you see because you'll you'll notice oh my gosh like i see that everywhere in in movies or in you know it's it's crazy really crazy all right are you ready over there you good yeah. okay she's ready uh, i'm out of here i'll have plenty more tomorrow i'm sure took a fun tour through some really random subjects today I had a lot of fun today. It was good. So we'll see you tomorrow and we'll do more. Bye-bye. All right. So um, I'm going to drop the uh, link to the show prep out to everybody in live chat. And I just want to put out there that um, for some reason, it's a much bigger file. It, it's taking a lot more like to download than it normally does. But I think that's because I have a video file in here that we're going to be looking at about Boston Dynamics. And um, I thought it was really important. I watched this whole thing that Bloomberg um, put out. And I was like, oh, these pieces of crap. <laughs> so I wanted to include that in the show prep so everybody could see it because um, it's just very disturbing. Okay, so um, we're also going to kind of, um, we're gonna pick up on where we left off yesterday. I want to finish the article. We did not get the chance to finish it. So we're going to finish it today. And I think that you guys will um, appreciate why we're gonna continue covering that because it's a very, important article. I spent a lot of time on it. it took me like a week to finish that thing. And um, the ending is important. Like if you only get the first half of the article, you're, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get what the whole thing is about. So, okay. Um, let's go into the show prep now. So uh, tonight's show, obviously dialectic technocratic part two. We're going to finish that. Um, WTF Anon says Boston Dynamics was bought by DARPA, I believe. Actually, it was Google and then acquired by SoftBank, now being sold to Hyundai. <laughs> I kid you not, Hyundai. So that's probably nice. Probably, yeah, probably had DARPA funding for a long time. They didn't make money. Um, which is interesting, right? Because not everybody has that opportunity to be negative um, as far as financial 
financials go, but still have just tons of capital poured into your company. So you have the time to research things and get a leg up on any competition. And this is what I mean by we do not really have in any sense, a free market anymore. No, we do not. That's not uh, the case because clearly some people are uh, propped up and promoted and some are not. And, um, you know, we could see the same thing with uh, CIA connected Palantir, which of course had Incutel money for a long time. Palantir didn't make money for probably a decade before it started making money when it got all these government contracts, no bid government contracts. So again, there's no real competition there. Uh, and when you get no bid contracts from the federal governments of the world, there you go, right? And so that's what Palantir has. And then of course, once they got and um, secured the no bid contracts, with the governments of the world, then they go public with an IPO. And that follows pretty much the same pattern there. Yes, uh, Camouflage Peacock says DARPA is behind a lot of these large corporations. Remember when I was still on Twitter, I had a conversation with the DARPA Twitter account, the blue check mark DARPA Twitter account, which by the way, purportedly, was run by a guy in Virginia sitting at home in his shorts, in his words, uh, where he tried to convince me that DARPA had nothing to do with MKUltra or any kind of mind control, and also that they had nothing to do with LifeLog, <clears throat> AKA Facebook. Um, that was ridiculous. I wonder how many people remember that conversation that thread, I have the screenshot saved. <laughs> I have the receipts. Of course, I've saved that uh, just because I find that hilarious. And he also said he was going to look into QAnon. <laughs> he said he was going to research QAnon. <laughs> Does anybody remember this? That was pretty fun. And then I guess whoever whatever intern or low-level employee who was running DARPA's Twitter account um, must have been fired because after that one day, they stopped responding to or replying to regular folks. It, it, like, it just stopped talking altogether. So I wonder if that guy got, um, got fired for for engaging with the plebs. But that was one of the things that I kind of mentioned as well, was that none of these, um, none of these governmental agencies like DARPA that don't really have public accountability, none of them really engage in a dialogue with any of the plebs like us. And so I don't know, maybe this guy wanted to feel like he was different somehow and you know, oh, I had a conversation with one of the slaves. See, I'm not that bad. We're not that bad here at DARPA. <laughs> We're not totally unapproachable. But I think it was more like it, it, I tagged it in a thread talking about mind control. And I guess it thought that it could go there. It could like own, own me or something and, and refute my claims. And that didn't happen. 
Um, and, but it was just an interesting conversation. And, and I have those screenshots, and I'd actually like to go through those again because I don't remember the entire conversation. But I do recall some other people joined in once they saw that. <laughs> and we're like, well, what about this and that? And it was just very bizarre. All right, so um, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about also the importance of decentralization and um, regular people getting involved in politics. Uh, and, and not just that, but you know, all aspects of this kind of battle that we're fighting, it, it's not really enough anymore to be a passive observer, right? You have to somehow get involved. Music has a good point. MK Ultra was compartmentalized. He probably had no clue. That is a fair point. I sh I'm sure many of these people worked on technologies that perhaps they didn't understand the full applications of or implications of, right? I mean, because, for example, they sell some of this um, mind chip technology for helping people who have you know, severed limbs, be able to uh, control things with a robotic arm. So they'll set like a robotic prosthesis arm, controlling it with their mind, like it's their real hand. So they'll sell it to people as like, oh, it's a good thing that you're doing, that you're working on. It's a really good project. They're not going to tell them that that same chip that helps people move a prosthetic arm with their mind is also can be used to hijack their mind. It's literally a brain chip, all right? Mind control, they're, they're not obviously gonna tell the people working on these things that that's how it will be applied. And they never do. So, um, you know, I think that's a fair point to make how many of these people are working on projects that they don't understand how their technology and research will be applied. But then again, I've put the impetus on them to figure it out, put two and two together, do some research. You know, don't just exempt yourself from responsibility for things like this. And there is a old paper, I believe this was written in the 1940s, um, that I want to go over with everybody because it is so disturbing. When you read what this guy, Dr. Jose, I forget his last name, Delgado, I think Dr. Jose Delgado was talking about as far as like mind control goes. It really shows you that back in the 1940s, they already knew how to control people's minds, for lack of a better word, how to kind of um, hack the mind. So I, I want to cover that at some point. I don't think I've actually talked about that book yet that he wrote, Dr. Jose Delgado. Anyways, so um, this is, we're going to talk about CRISPR today. We're going to talk about Bill Gates and his latest nonsense and um, some other things as well. So we might as well get into the show now. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. 
And we are as a people, inherently and historically, opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. You guys know what this represents? Well, you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. For well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy. America is governed by Americans. Infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice. The corporate media in our country is no longer involved in journalism. For them, it's a war. And for them, nothing at all is out of bounds. Man will be what he was born to be. Free and independent. Well, we hope so, at least. <laughs> we hope so. Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of the, the enemy, thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heaven. He shall fill the places with dead, with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Amen. Amen. Scott D. says, Orthodox Christian theologians, such clear thinkers toward the faith. Yes, I do agree. I do agree with you there. All right, so um, we will continue this uh, in a minute, but I do want to play this for everybody so you understand the creepiness that we're talking about here with Boston Dynamics. And by the way, um, just look just look at this guy. Look how creepy the CEO of Boston Dynamics is who wants to put you all out of jobs. 
I shit you not, listen to how out of touch and ridiculous this guy sounds in this interview with this fawning, I don't even know what to describe her as other than fawning little twerk. She does not ask one difficult or hard question. Pathetic. Coolest things your robots can do today. Well, the reason we chose dancing was because it forces us to build technology to really coordinate all those limbs on a robot in uh, ways that turn out to be important if you're going to do useful work. So I think you had the, the point exactly right. It's about those capabilities, especially with a, a new arm. So we just launched an arm for Spot. And for it to be able to open a door out in the world, you have to coordinate the arm, the body, the legs, everything at once together. Okay, so you all remember, well, I, I'm sure some of you guys remember, how many of y'all saw the dancing robots and how creepy that looked? It reminded me of the TikTok doctors and nurses who were just totally overwhelmed with COVID patients to the point where you know, they had the time to do these coordinated dance videos and upload them to TikTok because obviously that's what's really important in the middle of a pandemic. And, um, you know, that dance kind of pushed our technology to the point that opening the door now becomes kind of matter of fact. You're expanding your Spot robot line uh, with Spot Enterprise. Uh, Spot can monitor sites remotely, as I understand it. Which oh, yeah. The, yeah. Let's name the robot line Spot like a dog. How cute. That's the goal, is to make you think of it as a pet. Something non-threatening, right? Oh, man's best friend. Come on, guys. Do they think this works? Do you really think people are that stupid? Of course they do. Of course they think you are that dumb that they can just call this stupid thing spot and nobody will have any concerns. Oh, you know, like the children's uh, pop-up books about Spot the Dog. Does anyone remember those books? They were not pop-up books per se, but they were like lift-up flaps, right? You would lift up little things, like, where is Spot hiding? And you'd lift up the little flap. Oh, he's under the table. That's what they're trying to tie this to in your mind. A children's story. Actually, probably stories you read as kids that they want to anchor it to that children's story so that you think of this robot as a childhood that you associate it with a happy childhood memory of reading about Spot, the dog, that's totally non-threatening. Anything from power grids to construction sites and, you know, what else could that involve? Airports, railroads, farms, space? Space would be interesting. It's a long ways away. We're starting, we're starting near- All right, the let's rewind that so everyone picks up on the implications of what she just said. And make no mistake, her questions are scripted. This is how you know this is a puff piece, right? 
She's asking him questions that have been obviously planted, that she has been told to ask. Listen to what she says. We will play this again. Roads, farms, space. So where are we going to put these new robots? Railroads, farms, space. <laughs> yeah, so what she's saying is people who have blue-collar jobs that work on farms and railroads, oh, shouldn't we just put them out of a job? You know, let's just replace them with Spot, the robot. And she says this with that disgusting little smirk on her face. She knows damn well that that means putting tons of Americans out of jobs. And so does he. Space would be interesting. It's a long ways away. We're starting, we're starting nearer to Earth with things, as you mentioned, like uh, construction sites, uh, nuclear power plants, uh, utilities. Oh, so now they're going to put the construction workers out of a job. Every job that's left for people that don't have a useless college degree, they want to replace you and take your jobs away. If you work at a power plant, if you work for a utility company, the last jobs left for people who aren't part of the managerial class, they want to take away from you so that you will be totally dependent. Are people seeing this? Do people listen to this shit and not make these connections? I don't know. Maybe some of them do, but it's on her, the so-called journalist with Bloomberg, to say, hey, wait a second. Wouldn't that mean putting possibly millions of Americans out of jobs when already our country is facing a massive unemployment crisis and people haven't worked for a year? Things where there's a site, maybe it's located remotely, and you want a robot uh, to be there when you can't be, or maybe it's dangerous, like a nuclear power plant, and the robot can be inside doing an inspection, keeping people away from radiation. So those Oh, are yes, because don't you know, they really care about protecting people from radiation. The same sick fucks who experimented on Army veterans and purposely gave them radiation poisoning and cancer. Oh, now they want to protect you from it. Kinds of applications, mostly industrial asset management. Now, there have been some delays there. I mean, talk to us about just the difficulty of getting something this dynamic to market. Oh, real smart lady here, real original, this dynamic. The company's called Boston Dynamics. She's got a big brain, guys. She came up with that one all on her own. It's taken decades of work. You know, we had to solve some very fundamental problems in robotics, balance and locomotion and then building all of that into a reliable platform that is affordable. And honestly, it took uh, you know, decades of research and then another decade 
uh, further development, uh, you know, in companies like Google and SoftBank uh, and Next Hyundai uh, to get this to a commercial market. It, so there were some big technical barriers, but that also now benefits us. I want to pause to show you how this looks like a snake's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I am reminded of Satan for some reason. Look at this. It literally looks like a snake that's about to like bite you. Oh my God. Because I think we've crossed those barriers and it'll be uh, harder for others to follow. Now, Aaron Levy was joking there, but there has always been this fear of robots taking over the world, um, that humans will be replaced, this apocalyptic future. How do you believe in reality that decades from now, robots will be part of our lives? How do you believe in reality? What? What? Is, is this somebody who has a journalism degree from Columbia University? This is the level of whatever. Anyways, I could do that for a while. It is creepy, but the point is they are condescending anyone who questions the danger of mass robotics as Oh, just they just believe crazy science fiction nonsense. That's what they're saying. So, you know, that story, that fear has more to do with a resilient fictional narrative that's been told for the last hundred years than with reality. The reality is, is robots are tools and they're going to be our trusted co-workers taking off taking parts of the jobs that, that we don't want to be doing. Who the fuck says we don't want to be doing? I know there are plenty of Americans who want and would do any job. This is the same shit they told us with the millions of illegal immigrants. Oh, they're just going to do the jobs Americans don't want to do. Says who? Who the hell are you speaking for? There are plenty of Americans who would love to be able to work at a construction site or would love to be able to work at a nuclear power plant. What? Oh, they're going to be your trusted coworker. Again, the design here also is not coincidental. They have designed it to look like a dog and they are calling it Spot. They want you to think man's best friend so that you do not question what this fucking thing is doing and that you think of it as something as it said your trusted co-worker that will just do the things that you don't want to do again there are millions of americans right now who would die for the opportunity to do any job so they could have a freaking paycheck and feed their families or pay for things like thousand dollar a month insulin prescriptions for their children so as usual coming from the mouth of an elitist pig who doesn't understand the struggles of regular working class americans that's how divorced they are from the reality that most of us have to deal with so i think the fictional narrative is just very different and it's been told so many times that it comes to mind first. But I think now we're finally getting to robots that 
can really be out in the world. This next generation of robots will be, they look different, they'll be out amongst us and they'll have a much diverse set of, more diverse set of skills. They'll look different, they'll be out amongst us. That is what he says. I apologize for the sailor mouth. I get that from my mother, believe it or not. <laughs> I'm angry, I swear, yes, I know. <laughs> Obviously not very ladylike, but you know, somebody's gotta do it. And they're ultimately gonna be our tools for improving productivity and, and safety. Okay, so here's another thing that I end up talking about in my article, the mindset of the scientific technocrat, right? Where everything is, again, relativistic. So they don't have Christian morality or Christian values that put things like giving people dignity. That is not a value to them. What is important to them and what they worship in their secular religion is efficiency, efficiency and productivity, raising productivity. I mean, that's what matters, really? Over millions of Americans being able to have jobs. Productivity for multinational corporations. So you sold from Google, then there was SoftBank, now SoftBank selling to Hyundai. Talk to us about the CFIUS review, how that's going. Uh, is it holding things up? It seems to be moving a little more slowly than the last time you went through this. No, it's not going more slowly and it's just a part of the standard process. Uh, so CFIUS does need to review our sale to Hyundai, um, but it's proceeding normally at this point. We expect um, shooting for you know um, end of March, uh, end of May, uh, as a time frame, we'll be able to consummate this deal. You know, our, our life within uh, Google and uh, SoftBank and Hyundai, they've all had their benefits. They were important steps along the path. And I think Hyundai is going to be a great home for us. Now, Bloomberg has reported that the company, though, is still losing potentially billions of dollars. And I'm curious. Let me ask you something. How many of you are allowed to just lose potentially billions of dollars, like this woman just said, but still just have capital dumped down the drain so that your company can be artificially boosted so you can succeed and not go into bankruptcy. None of you, nobody gets that benefit. That is not a free market. It's just not. Why has it been so hard to make this a financially sustainable endeavor? Well, we only launched our first product last year. Uh, we launched Spot in September. Uh, we've sold over 400, I think we're at 425 robots so far. So it's a pretty good start. And we've got a ways to go. Um, yeah, we made, we made money most of our life. Um, it's really only when we uh, were acquired by Google and then SoftBank that we quit trying to live off of our own uh, income. And that's because we focused on research and we needed to do Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Where's my Google and SoftBank billions? So I don't have to worry about making money and paying bills and I can just focus on research. 
Good God. It's so insulting to the regular American who has to pay tons of money in taxes, is regulated to hell and back, that gets treated like absolute shit. It's so insulting. This development to solve these hard technical problems. And that took significant investment uh, and time to do so. But I think we have solved those problems, and I think now we can reap the rewards. But it'll take time. We've got to build it. We're building a brand new market. Yeah, they can reap the rewards. You know, putting you guys out of jobs, taking away the last few jobs left, and they will automate the rest. And he just says this shit with a smile on his face. He is happy about displacing millions of American workers from construction jobs, farms, railroads. You heard them say that. That's what, what they're going to be doing. They're gonna be getting rid of all of your jobs and they're going to either outsource it to a foreigner or a robot, or they're just going to automate it. No-legged robot like Spot has existed before, and uh, it's going to take time to build that market and, and get customers uh, accustomed to and thinking about what Spot can do for them. Right. We, you know, we just got to accustom people to um, putting humans out of work and replacing their employees with a robot. I mean... How do these people sleep at night? How do they sleep at night? Do they ever question the efficacy and ethics of what they're doing? No, of course they don't. So if indeed Hyundai becomes your new parent, talk to us about the, your vision for your technology and robotics in self-driving cars. Well, Hyundai uh, oh, has a, um, a broad portfolio. For fuck's sake. That, yeah, that's the next thing we want. You know, spot driving a car. Right? That creepy, snake-faced little whatever the hell that is. Yeah, that, that sounds like a great idea. Let's just trust our lives with that thing. I'm sure everybody is just you know, waiting to volunteer for that. Yeah, exactly. Narcissists have no empathy. And this stuff pisses me off. It makes me so angry. The condescension in their voices, the worshiping of efficiency and productivity. And indeed, self-driving cars are part of that. And they, they share a lot of technology uh, with our robots. You know, our vision is to continue to push our mission, and our mission right now is launching and making Spot successful. You know, we've just added, um, you know, the enterprise version, as you noted, that lets Spot work remotely, software that lets you connect to it, a new arm, and we're about to launch a new uh, set of products uh, in the logistics space in the next few months. So we want to launch a series of mobile manipulation robots that uh, transform industry. The transform industry. How do you like that? I don't know. How would you like having that thing in your face? I mean, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. 
know. Maybe uh, they start replacing police officers with this looking thing. It looks like a, a snake about to bite you. How would you like to look into that thing? I don't know. I, I definitely won't be volunteering for this. Um, but <laughs> good God, <laughs> these people. Oh my God, they make me sick. They make me sick, just the, the trivial way that they talk about uh, displacing the jobs of millions of people. Um, it's quite disgusting. And at one point they did say something about like um, usefulness, right? And it just reminded me of the um, speech by uh, Yuval Noah Harari, right? Um, calling people the, uh, the useless class, the useless class, and the rats. Okay, so the next thing we have here, because, you know, obviously this is important, many brains genetically altered with CRISPR to be Neanderthal-like. Oh, yeah, that sounds nice. Miniature brains grown in the lab. <laughs> I don't even want to know the kind of sick crap they're doing that we don't know about, right? This is like what they put out there. Um, what are they not telling us about, right? What are the experiments these guys are doing that we don't know about? They're already telling us miniature brains grown in the lab. What else are they growing in the lab? Children are helping to reveal how modern humans survived when other hominins died out. Right, if you believe Darwin, Neanderthals and Tennisovians are some of our closest relatives. They lived alongside us for about 50,000 years when, uh, about 50,000 years ago, when modern humans <laughs> migrated from Africa toward Europe. Here's the out of Africa theory, which is all it is. I mean, oh my God. But they went extinct shortly after we came into contact with them, then are they our relatives? Huh, I guess we were different from them, weren't we? This might be because modern humans outcompeted and outsmarted them, but it may have just been bad luck. Allison Murtari at the University of California, San Diego, and his colleagues wanted to know more about how our brains differed from these other hominins and whether this could affect survival. The team compared the genomes of modern humans, Neanderthals and Tenovisians, and found a total of 61 genes that differed. One gene, Neuro-oncological ventricle antigen 1, NOVA 1, particularly caught their eye. The gene is specifically active during brain development and influences the developing nervous system. 
the team found that the modern human Nova 1 gene differed from the Neanderthal and Denovician version by a single base pair. To find out more, the team grew their own ancient human-like brains. Oh, they just grew their own, you know. They used CRISPR genome editing to change the modern Nova 1 gene in human stem cells to mimic the Neanderthal and Tennisovian version, then prompted the cells to develop into Neanderthal or Denisovian-like brain organid, a small simplified version of the organ consisting of clusters of brain cells in a dish. They did the same with standard human stem cells. Oh, sounds really nice. As they matured, the ancient human organoids were smaller in diameter and had a more wrinkled cell surface and their cells multiplied more slowly than the modern human ones. They are quite distinct from modern humans, suggesting that single base alteration can change brain development says Motri. This alteration also changed the expression of 277 genes compared with the modern human organoids and caused 113 alternative splicing events, a process that causes one gene to code for multiple proteins, many of which were linked to brain development and synapse formations. The fact that virtually all modern humans now carry the modern version of the gene strongly suggests that the alteration is a benefit to our species, says Morotri. If I might speculate, it might suggest that individuals carrying the Neanderthal Nova 1 alteration have a potential different way to process information, he says. And this, therefore, may have affected their survival. Tony Capra at the University of California, San Francisco, says he is excited about these new methods because it allows us to directly test Neanderthal brains. As it progresses, we will be able to evaluate how the Neanderthal genome worked in more and more complex and realistic models, he says. However, because Mutri and his team use a modern human genome with a single change, Capra says this doesn't truly reflect the entire Neanderthal or Tenovosian genome. It's unlikely that a single magic genetic change produced a dramatic positive change in these traits. He says there are many parts of our genome that contribute to cognition and that evolution may have acted on multiple variants with smaller effects. Now, I don't really necessarily see this evolution. Not only do I believe that it is a religion more than anything else, I see people devolving. I see intelligence getting smaller and smaller. Um, I don't see high culture like we did hundreds of years ago. No, the average human being hundreds of years ago seems to have been far more sophisticated and intelligent and creative than the humans of today. I don't know, maybe that's just 
my opinion. <laughs> so the next thing we have here is about Bill Gates, who has zero, zero skills, right? I mean, he is not uh, any kind of scientist. He is somebody who had a shitty software company that simply got a monopoly and uh, had a rich daddy. He had a rich daddy. That's his qualifications, I guess, to tell everybody what they, how they should live, right? So Bill Gates says, all wealthy nations should switch to synthetic beef. Gee, I, I mean, no one could have predicted that, right? We, we've just been covering that on this show for months. Talking about lab-grown meat, telling you this is what they were going to do next, and Bill Gates simply just confirms this. <sighs> I do think all rich countries should move to 100% synthetic beef. I, this will be, of course, rules for thee, but not for me. As it just came out with Zuckerberg today, thank you, Project Veritas, that, you know, Zuckerberg is anti-vaccines for his family and his kids, but then punishes you if you try to talk about that on his platform. So again, rules for thee, but not for me. During the 1900s, the 1990s, excuse me, Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates picked up a bad boy reputation for taking a hard line in the company's antitrust spat with the U.S. government. Yeah, he lied in a deposition. You could tell when he was lying and nobody did anything about it. Just like all of these big tech CEOs lied under oath at their congressional hearings and not one politician recommended that they be tried for perjury. Isn't that interesting? You would be, though, if you dared lie under oath to Congress, if you dare lie to the FBI, they would throw the book at you. But not one of them recommended prosecution when these scumbags blatantly lied under oath several times. But for decades since stepping away from the software giant, Gates has rebranded as a full-on rapist and policy advocate for humanitarian and policy issues, including public health. Oh, his father's a eugenicist. That's nice. Climate change and hunger. Now, in an electrifying... <laughs> These fucking idiots. Good God. Absolute retards. So this, as far as hunger goes, remember what we read from Bar Bertrand Russell, what he said about the scientific dictatorship of the future? What did he talk about? Controlling the food supply of the nation. 
that once you did that, you could very easily control the people because they will be dependent on you for survival. In an electrifying interview, again, journalism is dead. It, I, to call it electrifying is so disgusting. These journalists are no better than prostitutes selling themselves for pennies, being used by wealthy men. They all get on their knees and praise these people. And I guarantee some other things go on, as we learned with Spygate, <laughs> with the CNN journalist who was having an affair with one of the FBI people who was leaking to her. She definitely got on her knees. So that's who these people are. Never forget that. They're glorified hookers. That's modern journalism. The tattletale, internet hall monitor, Stasi likes harassing and spying and doxing private citizens, but licking the butt of Bill Gates. How embarrassing. Could you imagine? <laughs> I could not, and I would not. I would not sit there and bite my tongue and just lick these people's asses up one side and down the other for access for a story. Good Lord, how low. These people are the lowest of the low. In an electrifying interview with MIT Tech Review that touches on all those initiatives. <laughs> That's being generous. Initiatives. Yeah. <laughs> and more. Gates is coming down hard in favor of fake meats. <laughs> and even recommending that every single quote-unquote, rich country on Earth move away from real beef as soon as possible. Well, why might Bill Gates want us to not eat meat? Maybe, just maybe, he wants us to be sick. Hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just guessing here. Meet and greet. Oh, guys, they spelled it M-E-A-T. How clever. Such clever boys. Gates said that what he called the 80 poorest countries would still be eating actual, <laughs> actual cows for a while. But he's optimistic about the developed world's path to fake meat. Oh, my God. I do think all rich countries should move to 100% synthetic beef, the billionaire told MIT Tech as they were on their knees in front of him. You can get used to the taste difference. <laughs> and the claim is they're going to make it taste even better over time. The claim is, <laughs> sounds real promising, guys. 
Oh my gosh. Interestingly, Gates said he's optimistic that plant-based beef replacements can replace meat from actual cattle without lab-grown meat taking over the market. You know the Bible specifically talks about and warns against vegetarianism? It literally tells you that it's satanic. And it says that the crawling things of the earth, the animals, were given to us by God to sustain ourselves. Therefore, they were created to give us, to provide all of the nutrients that we need, and we have dominion over them. And that doesn't just mean eating them. It means raising them with respect and dignity. We are to take care of them, not just to eat them, but treat them with the dignity and respect that they should be treated with as fellow creatures of God. <sighs> Anyways, to underscore the point, he slammed Memphis Meats, a lab meat company that he himself has invested in. <laughs> he slammed a company he invested in. Oh my God, you cannot make this stuff up. And he praised a pair of plant-based competitors with which he also has had financial relationships. Oh, so he stands to financially benefit from this. And you give him a fucking puff piece in your publication so that he can make more money and you don't say a damn thing? This is what I mean. These people are hookers. They sell themselves and their souls to the highest bidder. This is not journalism. It's public relations for Bill Gates and advertising for the companies that he stands to benefit financially from. This isn't speaking truth to power. This is licking the boot of power. Now, the people like Memphis Meats, who do it at a cellular level, I don't know that that will ever be economical, he said. Oh, right, because everything's about money to Gates. But Impossible and Beyond have a roadmap, a quality roadmap and a cost roadmap that makes them totally competitive. Right. Of course, Gates is an influential thinker and policy shaper, but take it all with a grain of salt. After all, this is the guy who thought Internet Explorer was going to dominate the browser market. You're damn right. But that is nothing. That little statement at the end there, they do that to try to put up the facade of objectivity. They have the opportunity to ask real questions, and they didn't, and they never do. Scumbags.
Breaking Spectre says, Israel just 3D printed a stake in the last couple of weeks. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. Everything, you know, has to benefit them too, obviously. So I just, we're not going to read this article, but I just wanted to share it because I, uh, well, um, I thought it was interesting and we might as well, right? While we're talking about Israel, obviously. The race to herd immunity. Shut up. And Israel is in the lead. Oh my God. No, they're not. The Israel seemingly had foreknowledge of this COVID pandemic. And they've been benefiting from it a lot as far as their politics goes. They've been using it to basically create a police state as if it wasn't already. Come on. Israel carries out first ever worldwide drone test without GPS and succeeds. Yay. The successful test is a major step on the road to establish commercial drone delivery operations in Israel. And they don't even need GPS. How nice. The first worldwide test of drone flights and GPS denied environments was successfully carried out in Israel last week. GPS denied environments. I bet you didn't even know that was a thing, did you? The delivery was part of an, the Israeli drone delivery pilot program, NAMA, which is operated by the Transportation Ministry, Civil Aviation Authority, Israel Innovation Authority, and Ailan Highways, and was carried out in a special test zone in Uraham. The current test sought to examine the usability of beyond visual line site navigation solutions due to the increasing possible threat of GPS signal disruption. Multiple factors can disrupt GPS signals, ranging from malfactions, solar flares, and malicious intent by individuals. As drones rely heavily on GPS for navigation, Finding thieve loss navigation solution is critical. The solution that was tested was made by SciTech in collaboration with Simplex Interactive called NavSight. The system is camera-based and allows for artificial intelligence to assess the visual situation for autonomous day and night missions. Essentially, it lets the drone understand the surrounding environment like a human pilot. The successful test is a major step on the road to establishing commercial drone delivery operations in Israel. Another drone test program was announced last week with Pizza Hut Israel planning to launch a pilot program in the summer in Kfar Yona to test autonomous drone pizza deliveries, leading American retailers like Amazon and Walmart have also been developing drone delivery capabilities as well. You don't say. 
Now, from today, Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine sharply reduces symptomatic COVID-19 in the real world, Israeli researchers say. Of course they do. Pfizer's BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine appears to reduce symptomatic coronavirus infections by more than 90% in the real world, Israeli researchers said Sunday. The findings, while preliminary, suggest that the vaccine remains remarkably effective in a mass vaccination campaign. Mass vaccination campaign outside the carefully controlled conditions of a clinical trial. The Claliot Research Institute, part of a larger Israeli health system, which is, by the way, socialist, analyzed data on 1.2 million people, about half of whom had received the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Researchers compared patients who received the vaccine with similar individuals who hadn't. The rate of symptomatic COVID-19, meaning people who were infected with COVID and felt sick, decreased by 94% among people who received two doses of the vaccine, according to a press release from Clellet. The rate of serious illness decreased by 92%. Full details of the study were not immediately available. And... The research has not yet been peer-reviewed. Oh, well, let's just take their word for it, huh? Peer-reviewed studies. Uh, who needs these things, right? Still, the findings are consistent with data from Pfizer's own vaccine trial, which found that the vaccine conferred 95% protection against COVID. The affirmation is really important, says CNN medical analyst, Dr. Leanna Wen, an emergency physician and visiting professor at George Washington University Milken Institute School of Public Health. Oh, the affirmation. I didn't know that all you need is a positive affirmation and you will be fine. You want to make sure that the study results that we initially were seeing in tens of thousands of people is reflected when, when the population is in the billions. In the Pfizer trial, researchers randomly assigned patients to receive either the vaccine or the placebo. They then looked to see how many people got sick in each group and found that the vaccine sharply reduced illness. Eric Topol, executive vice president of Scripps Research Institute, said this is another important aspect reflected in the Israeli study that has not been peer-reviewed and hasn't made their findings available. It's highly significant, telling us that vaccination in the real world at scale achieves remarkable reduction of severe COVID hospitalizations and fatalities, fully validating the randomized trial on mRNA vaccines, fully validating, huh, but it hasn't been peer reviewed and they won't put out the actual research, huh. 
Pfizer study was a randomized controlled trial, the gold standard in clinical research, oh, if you say so. The Israeli study, on the other hand, was observational, meaning researchers didn't randomly pick who got the vaccine and who didn't. So <laughs> I just don't even know what to say to this. It's so stupid. Good Lord. What observational the fuck does that mean? And why do I need to hear about it if this is not peer reviewed? It's not a real controlled clinical trial. It, it won't put out its research, but it's an affirmation, guys. Yeah, they, Andrew and Chris, they love patting themselves on the back. <laughs> that can pose problems. People who choose to get vaccinated, for example, may also be more likely to take other steps to protect themselves. Researchers said they tried to account for those types of effects, however, and observational studies are important because they can offer certain insights into how well vaccines protect people under real-world conditions. Good Lord. Yeah, now they're talking about new variants of COVID, just new variants. Mm-hmm. Now, Ebola is a pandemic because apparently three people died and that now makes it a pandemic. Good Lord. It, it's never going to end. I want people to understand that. It will not end end this will not end there will always be some germ out there that they can inflate into this big deal so i just i want i hope people see that i have a neighbor who is so dumb that if cdc information goes against her own personal bias and hypochondriac nonsense She'll say it's not a reliable source. The CDC, a .gov website, isn't as reliable to her as, say, CNN. So people will just believe whatever they want to believe. This article, um, The Communist Pecking Duck, So Good... Kissinger would have signed anything. No, I'm not doing a free trial telegraph. Not happening. So I just wanted to put this out here. We're obviously not going to read this, but yeah, communist pecking duck so good. Kissinger would have signed anything. No, Kissinger signed things because he stood to benefit financially from them and because Israel benefited from it. That's who Kissinger works for. That is obvious, or should be obvious to everybody. Who was giving Israel nuclear information and technology, right, in 1964? Huh, who, who could that have been? You know, the same, right around the same time that JFK was assassinated because he didn't want Israel to have nuclear weapons. Remember the show we did back, 
on the anniversary of JFK's death, where we talked about this specific issue. It, yes, that was China, by the way. All right, so um, the next thing we're gonna look at is a video from uh, Rob Colbert with Gab. He says, take it to the local level Win and work your way up. Decentralize your efforts in politics. So we will go to the video here. I thought this was absolutely spot on. So we're going to watch it. Hey, what's up? My name is Rob Colbert. I'm a vice president of engineering at Gab, whatever. Um, I wanted to talk about decentralization. I want to talk about this solving it at the local level thing that you see going on right now. Um, it's important. And... I wanted to sort of shift the discussion a little bit and maybe help you understand it from a different perspective. Because, I mean, depending on how long you've been on Gab, you were here to see the results of decentralization and you watched us succeed as a result. Now, I'm not so much talking about the decentralization of Gab social, okay? When we did that, the result was that Gab ended up being 98% insular, which means that Gabbers were only talking with other gabbers on Gab, and they didn't care too much about what was going on outside of Gab. In fact, really, what that ended up doing was it just gave other web <coughs> other websites a nice, easy way. <coughs> excuse me, to benefit from the content that is on Gab. So we turned it off. However, Another way we decentralized Gab, which is less obvious because it's actually been very strategic and we haven't been talking about it much, um, but I feel better doing that now because we've succeeded at it, is we decentralized out from just being Gab.com, right? You have trends.gab.com, you have TV, you'll soon have voice, you have two different stores, you have dissenter.com, the commenting engine, you have the dissenter browser. So we completely diversified out what Gab even is. And there is a reason we did that um, because, I mean, uh, the browser aside, the rest are websites and there's no real reason to have them all separated out the way that they are. But why did we do it? Well, it was for the decentralization. What it does is it broadens Gab's attackable surface. OK, so instead of just having one website on one address, you know, um, nice, easy, single target sitting there uh, ripe for the picking, there's like 10 now. And even if you're a state level actor, you do not have enough power to take all 10 down. You can't. You might succeed at making one more difficult to use for a little while, but then there's the rest of the platform. So gabbers are still happy. They understand these things. You know, they know we are a, a, a website that is under constant nonstop attack 24 7, 365. It never stops. So when one of those attacks manages to get through one of the defenses and until we can get it mitigated, yeah, one service might have a bit of an issue. Um, this is increasingly more rare. Uh, it's been a long time since Gab has actually successfully been attacked. But again, part of the reason for that is this full de uh, decentralization that we performed on the platform, right? It was surgery it needed to happen. And the end result is that Gab is still here. Gab is incredibly resil uh, resilient as a result. It's, it's impossible to take Gab down. We have to choose to turn Gab off. And until we do that, Gab will be there. So that's a success story. That's data that I can stand on while talking to you about this and say, we did this and here's how it worked and why. So uh, I've given you the overview of that. 
Now, what I need you to do is to apply that 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 same lesson learned through the decentralization of the gab platform into what you're doing with politics for example you don't want to focus on just one political action figure a la trump right way too easy to defeat you've got one target sitting right there they focused all their energy on that one target and they won it's how they do it they trap you they corral you into the one and then they defeat that one right because it's easier it's possible for them to do that what if you had uh patriots running for literally every office in the country I am talking about from, you know, county commissioner through mayor of a town or city to governor to every available seat in your houses, uh, you know, your congresses and senates in each of the states and as well the federal level. All right. I mean, the federal level is harder because, again, that's just one thing. It's easier for them to own that one thing. It's why they wanted the one thing and created it rather illegally back when. Okay, so I want to pause and make a comment here. Sheriffs. Sheriffs are important. They have a lot of power. So also, people should be running for sheriff. That's important. Um, all of these local, state, federal offices, even school district, things like that. There's no reason why regular people can't do it. And if everybody if if thousands of people start running for this stuff there is no way that they can use voter fraud on every person in every race it would it would overwhelm their ability to do that because there's too many targets right that's what he's talking about and i thought that was very very smart it's why they did it. It's easier to just dominate and control the one thing. So that's how you got the federal government. But if you ignore that and if you focus on state, local, uh, community level, and I am talking about all the way down into the schools, right? We need better administration in schools. We need better teachers in schools. You can do that. That's an action you can take. You can, for, for example, right now, there will be fewer among you who are capable of doing what I'm about to say, but there are people among you who are capable of doing what I'm about to say. So I'm just going to say it and we'll see if someone out there steps up and does it. Um, some of you are capable of creating a new school and then populating it with better people. You're entirely capable of doing that and you should get started immediately because we're, <laughs> we're out of time. We're not running out of time, we're out of time. So if you have the ability to do that, it's something you really should focus on and then you should staff that school according to patriotism, right? And you work your way up from there, right? Because that's where it all starts is in the schools. It's why they took the schools over first. It's why you have a public school for free provided by the government. I mean, come on, this, this is not an accident. It's how it all came to be, right? So we need the alternatives, right? We need Catholic schools. We need, we need just, you know, what would be considered a private school, sure. But we need these resources and they need to be made more available to American citizens, right? And I, I'm using words I intend to use, like my suggestion is to make enrollment in your school contingent upon American citizenship. Like you have to have American citizenship in order to get into your school, because when we allow the opposite of that, that's how we end up with parents having to defend their children, not learning Spanish in kindergarten. 
All right, it's something I had to do. I literally had to go to a school and fight to keep my son out of a Spanish-speaking class as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white kid. So that's what's needed, really, is a decentralization of your efforts. You can't focus on just one office. And another thing you got to learn is just one office can't change everything. It's impossible. It's just our, our, the way our government is designed and set up. It's impossible. There's too many different checks and balances. Democrats are able to corrupt those. And they were able to entirely prevent Trump for four straight years. Like he got, yeah, I, I get it. Lots of people love to celebrate his basic accomplishments. But at the end of the day, he didn't get anything real done. He got lots of figures years, you know, like uh, it, just example style stuff done. Sure, he eliminated some regulations and did some other fun stuff. And I guess we got an embassy in Israel. That was fun. But, you know, we don't have a wall. Uh, we're still being invaded. Um, it, it, we still have our problems, right? So as you're learning, uh, it may have been a bad strategy to focus all energy and effort into one office. The good that came out of that is that many millions more people, I would say billions around the world, are now avail are, are, are now aware of the problems within the American politics system, right? So yeah, people sit around and they're like, well, what am I gonna do about that? Like they stole the election from my president, so what am I gonna do? You're going to run for local office. You're going to purchase a building and turn it into a better school. You're going to, um, you know, dethrone these people from their seats is what you're going to do. Because while they can dominion their way into the presidency, uh, it's going to be impossible for them to algorithm their way through a completely decentralized attack on their uh, stronghold. It, it, it's just not possible. There will be way too many uh, seats up for, you know, challenge by better people that they just won't be able to do it. And at least then if they do, um, it, it will be the, the, the level and kind of problem that maybe people will start taking more actions. Because really, like, this is what's available now along this, like, peaceful path, but we don't have to stay on the peaceful path either. Right. I mean, we could just say, all right, bullshit is bullshit. We've had enough of it. This is America. We're taking it back. And then that's what would happen. That's exactly what would happen. I mean, I guess people want to avoid that because it's never, you know, like it's not even fun to think about shooting people in the face, but that's where it'll go. Right. Like. Oh, no. And it, it like got messed it up. Well, shoot. Well, anyways, the point he's making here, I think, is a very good... Ew, it stopped at 9-11. That's actually kind of creepy. <laughs> but I think he makes a very good point. They can't really focus their efforts. You know what they like to do. They like to follow the Alinsky model of picking a target, freezing it, making it personal, the personal attacks racist, bigot, homophobe, Islamophobe, blah, blah, blah. That's what they do. So um, this is a very important point. And Sleepwalker made another very good point. And that was, look at what Soros's attack is. District attorneys, judges. And don't forget, Soros also went after sheriff's races. Hmm... So clearly, if that's what Soros is doing, there's a reason for it. There's a reason the Justice Democrats 
we're funneling millions of dollars into local races. There's a reason that Flippable turned Virginia blue by what were they doing? How did they do it? Focusing on local politics. That's what the Democrats did. That's another thing we should be learning from. Remember, I wrote that article in November of 2019 about Democrats 2020. What would be their plan? And I said voter fraud, redistricting, industry dominance, and things like that. And that turned out to be correct. So um, we'll just uh, refresh this. Hopefully, it'll work again. And I'm just going to try to skip back to where we were. Well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Hey, what's up? My name. Okay, where where was it? My name is Rob Colbert. I'm a vice president of engineering Something at Gab. Like, whatever. Um, uh, we're only talking with other Gab. Nine on Gab. Well, whatever. We don't need to hear the rest. You guys get it. But the point was that people should be getting involved and really. You want to, I guess the way to put it would be like you want to exhaust all of the, um, all of the peaceful options for revolution, right? You you want to exhaust all of these options before the other route happens, which could happen because people are getting fed up. Yep, that's kind of not working. But anyways, you guys get the point. I thought that was very. Um, smart. I thought it was a good idea. Oh my goodness. Okay. So we will just share this real quick because it's so ridiculous. The communist peaking duck so good. Kissinger would have signed anything as if he wasn't going to do that to begin with. Come on. Come on. We all know the truth. Jonathan Clements, The Emperor's Feast, A History of China in 12 Meals, takes us from modern Chinatowns back to Kublai Khan's rages. Oh, there's Nixon. There's Nixon in 1972. Good Lord. Yeah, Kissinger has always been... China and Israel first. That is not actually a surprise. It has nothing to do with their stupid Peking duck. It has everything to do with destroying America, presiding over the intentional managed decline of the country. So um, <laughs> anyways, this I think is a very good idea though for people to start running for things. I have been encouraging this. I think everybody should be running for local office because sitting around complaining does nothing. Sitting around waiting for somebody to save us, it's not going to happen. You are the plan. The whole point was to wake people up. It was to discredit the media. That was the plan. You actually have to do something though too. You're the plan. You getting involved in understanding why you have to get involved, why you cannot go back to sleep. The whole point of Q was reminding people that we used to be involved. 
in our country. And then we allowed, we allowed other people to take it over because we didn't want to get involved, because we didn't want to work hard. Well, look where that's gotten us. And when you, when you leave that space open, somebody will fill it. Anytime there is a power vacuum that is going to get filled, it'll either be by you or by somebody else. So, you know, make sure it's by you. If someone's going to fill that power vacuum, it damn well better be us. And here's the other thing he brings up in that video if you are somebody that is um, that is disabled in some way, you might still be able to get involved in some manner. If you have any kind of free time on your hands, if you're retired, you can get involved. You can help people run campaigns. You can run, but you cannot do this. We can't do it alone. That's the thing. We've got to start organizing locally. And I have told people that, um, you know, start creating local groups. We had a server um, before Discord banned us that was broken down by state, right? People were doing PSB meetups. That was fantastic. There were um, very good uh, showing um, attendance at the uh, PSB meetup that Thumper did in his state. Um, this is something you guys should be doing doing PSB meetups, right? Um, if you are running for any kind of office, whether that's local, state, federal, come on to Patriot Soapbox. You have a platform here that is worldwide. We have people all over the world that listen to it. So utilize these tools. You know, people ask me, well, what are you doing? What do you think I'm doing? I'm running a 24 hour live stream for regular people, a channel that many people who are running have come on, people like Rich McCormick, Lauren Boebert, that is doing something. The point is doing real journalism, which doesn't exist anymore. You cannot have a country without an informed citizenry that is doing something. But I do think that at some point, someone's going to have to run. If you know, I, I live in Virginia. I want to turn that shit back red. <laughs> I don't know if I am, um, uh, if I'm old enough yet, <laughs> but I, I don't think about it for sure. I don't care. I don't give a damn. And I don't care what crap they're going to try to dig out from my past. I don't care about stuff like that. I am a Christian. Anyone can be redeemed or forgiven no matter what you've done. So there's like no way to blackmail me on that. I don't give a damn. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if anyone hears about like what I was like when I was in my 20s. I don't give a shit. So, and that's how everybody else should think too. You shouldn't care either. If you've done something, right? Maybe you weren't the best person. Um, who cares? All that matters is who you are now. 
look at St. Paul. He was someone who persecuted Christians and probably murdered them as well, possibly tortured them. He was a Pharisee, a high priest of Judaism, and he had his conversion on the road to Damascus, and he became one of the most important disciples and possibly my favorite. I love a lot of the stuff that was written by St. Paul. So anyways, um, this is something that for sure anybody can do. You know, anyone can run for sheriff. Anyone can run for city council, city commission on the board of your school district. And then you can utilize places like Patriot Soapbox. If you get into a position like that, where you have access to information, you can very easily tell us if something's going on at your school district. If they're trying to put in curriculum that is woke and crazy, you can contact Patriot Soapbox and you have a platform to get that story out there, right? That gives you some leverage in whatever you're doing, right? Because you can get that information out and that helps you. And the other thing is, what about creating um, like a homeschooling school curriculum and program? That's something that can be done. Anybody can do anything as long as they put their mind to it. A bunch, a group of people, a group of you got you patriots out there could come together and fundraise money to purchase a school building and hire teachers or whatever it is that you would need to create a charter school. Why aren't we doing that? We should be, and we need to be doing this stuff now. All right, so moving on, we're now picking up on my article from yesterday, The Relentless Revolution. Uh, we did. We kind of skipped over some of this stuff. I want to go ahead and just kind of read certain things here. Um, Trotsky's theory of permanent revolution, as sketched for the first time in his essay, Results and Prospects, from 1906, was one of the most astonishing political breakthroughs in Marxist thinking at the beginning of the 19th century, rejecting the idea of separate historical stages and raising the possibility of transforming the democratic into a proletarian socialist revolution in a permanent or uninterrupted process. It not only predicted the general strategy of the October revolution, but also provided key insights into the other revolutionary processes that would later take place in China, Cuba, etc. Of course, it's not without its problems and shortcomings, but it was incomparably more relevant to the real revolutionary processes in the periphery of the capitalist system than anything produced by orthodox Marxism from the death of Engels until 1917. We talked about part of this uh, here, uh, his initiation, talking about Trotsky, into dialectics thus took place through an encounter with perhaps the least orthodox of the major figures of the Second International. Formed in the Hegelian school, Labroila fought relentlessly against the neo-positivist and vulgar materialist trends 
that proliferated in Italian Marxism. He was one of the first to reject economistic interpretations of Marxism by attempting to restore the dialectical concepts of totality and historical process. Labroila defended historical materialism and a self-sufficient and independent theoretical system irreducible to other currents. He also rejected scholastic dogmatism and the cult of the textbook, insisting on the need of a critical development of Marxism. Trotsky's starting point, therefore, was this critical, dialectical, anti-dogmatic understanding Lavoila had inspired. Marxism, he wrote in 1906, is above all a method of analysis, not of texts, but analysis of social relations. So um, now going back down here, they talk about the dialectical category of totality being the essence of Marx's method, the very principle of revolution within the domain of knowledge, blah, 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 right? This is the way the, the, these people think, okay? So we talked about this part. I read this part. Uh, the, the, the elites were using dialectics to induce a state of permanent or uninterrupted revolution, right? Trotsky referring to this as analysis of social relations. This links it to social engineering, critical theory, a process of breaking things down the psyches of young people, right? So you can build them back up. And of course, tied intrinsically with technical development, using technology to apply dialectics in ever increasingly subtle and psychological ways. So that part about critical theory being a process of breaking things down. When we go down to um, talking about alchemy, you'll see how this tracks. The Azoth ritual. So the dialectical process is similar to the Azoth alchemy, right? A chemical process. And the technocrats, remember, they see you as animals that can be hijacked. Remember, Yuval Noah Harari said that at Davos, that humans are hackable animals. He said this himself. So that's how they see you, just chemicals and neurons in a skin suit that can be hijacked, etc. So the technocrat utilizes alchemical concepts to transform mass society. Each one of these symbols represents an alchemical um, process, a chemical process in the lab, but also a psychological process inside the alchemist himself. I told everybody, if you guys recall, that uh, here, the image of the alchemist, but also God, uh, the face of God, that's how they saw it, would often be replaced by a mirror so that the alchemist could uh, meditate on the mandala here. And all of these symbols would go through the periphery of his vision and subliminally affect the mind. Yes, he did call us rats. That's right, Tammy. 
So they obviously, the alchemists were encoding their rituals and symbolism and allegory to avoid charges of heresy and, and any kind of trouble they could get into in their day, but also to keep things secret, right? From the uninitiated vulgar masses. And their reasoning for this was that you were not worthy of knowing their secret knowledge unless you could figure it out on your own, unless you could get through the arcane allegory and symbolism and decode it yourself. The other reason for doing this was to communicate with other alchemists and occultists of their day. They could put out something like this that to most people, it doesn't mean anything to them, but to other occultists and other alchemists, they would be able to decode this and understand what it was. So it's almost like a way of communicating with each other uh, as well. So um, each symbol is a chemical process, but also an internal change within the alchemist himself. The technocrat looks at these concepts, these psychological or internal changes, and tries to apply this to society. So um, we don't need to read this part. We kind of covered that yesterday. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you guys can read that part on your own. So we talked about this as well, um, how this is similar to sigil magic, how the magician or occultist creates a sigil and how the sigil is not supposed to overtly express the intent, but subliminally contain all of the elements of the spell. And magicians, occultists, would cast spells on themselves using sigil magic. If they wanted to enact a magical barrier around themselves, a protection barrier, they would draw a sigil that kind of included these things, and there's three different ways to include that. There's three different ways to do it. You can do it using a coded language where you would kind of get rid of duplicate letters, then you'd break it down a little bit more. So it was just maybe five letters that were the root of, of the, the spell that you wanted to cast. And then you would put them into a sigil. You would stack them or layer them so that they just look like this symbol. Uh, or you could do it with like pictures um, or symbols or a mix of both, right? A mix of both. So this is what they would do. It's almost like a form of like self-hypnosis. So you'd meditate on that sigil. Then you would try to purposely forget it from your conscious mind so that it would go through subliminally to the subconscious where it could be then integrated or acted upon. So it, that's what this is. Now, as far as the symbolism goes of that alchemical mandala, between the legs of the alchemist is the cubic stone, which is labeled corpus, meaning body. The five stars surrounding it indicate the body also contains the hidden fifth element, the invisible quintessence, whose inherent strength is perfected if it is turned into earth, in the words of the emerald tablet of Thoth. Where the head of the alchemist should be, there is a strange winged caricature. This represents the ascended essence, the essence of the soul raised to the highest level in the body. Again, this is all according to the alchemist or the occultist. 
The image uh, evolved through the decades with this drawing, and at one time or other was shown as a golden ball, a helmet, a heart, and finally, a depiction of the pineal gland, a light-sensitive pine cone-shaped organ at the center of the brain. So, you know, obviously they knew about <laughs> um, the pineal gland. Touching the wings of the ascended essence is a salamander engulfed in flames. That's the top left side of the drawing and a standing bird on the right. Below the salamander is the inscription anima soul. Below the bird is the inscription spiritus spirit. The salamander as a symbol of the soul is attracted to the blazing heat of the sun while the bird of spirit is attracted to the coolness of the moon. This is a visualization of the fundamental bipolar energies that drive the alchemy of transformation. So visualization is part of this, obviously, but also they believe in union of opposites, taking two opposite things, right? And um, synthesizing them, just like the Hegelian dialectic, which was clearly based on these older alchemical and occult writings. This is similar in meaning to the Tai Chi symbol representing the interplay of the feminine yin and masculine yang energies. In this process, one thing takes on the characteristics of the other as it becomes its opposite. This is the relationship between mercury and sulfur in alchemy and explains why mercury is sometimes associated with soul and other times associated with spirit. The same is true of sulfur. The alchemists believe that within this interplay could be found the source of the life force. Young called this overall process of one thing changing its opposite by the, the unfortunately unwieldy name of inandromedria. Spiritus, anima, and corpus, spirit, soul, and body form a large inverted triangle that stands behind the central emblem of the alchemist. Together, they symbolize the three essentials behind anything, the celestial archetypes that the alchemists termed sulfur, mercury, and salt. So these are just some of the meanings behind the symbolism and the mandala. There are layered meanings as well. That is not the only meaning. This is a rough estimate or a rough um, example. What the alchemist describes as union of opposites is very similar to what Hegel uses in dialectics. So looking at the seven steps of this alchemical process that is encoded in that mandala, calcination, the skull in the first circle. So if you go back up and look at that mandala, you'll see um, the first circle. There are several circles around it. That is a classic symbol of the process of calcination. Other images at this stage include funeral pyres, hell, bonfires, blazing furnaces or athanars, crucibles, salamanders, the red lion fighting other animals, the sun and moon roost roasting over flames, the king being burned alive, cremated, or sitting inside a sweat box. Another calcination image is a yellow lion devouring or struggling with a green snake. 
the lion represents the fiery principle of sulfur and the secret fire in the alchemist's soul. The green serpent is unrefined or unclean mercury that must be redeemed during calcination. In the alchemist, this is the false identity or poisoning ego that fights desperately for its survival, but must be devoured in the flames of higher consciousness. In the lab, calcination, a substance is heated over an open flame or in a crucible until it's reduced to ashes. Alchemists considered acids, especially vitriol, as a kind of liquid fire that also was considered a process of calcination. Vitriol is a thick green substance that forms from the, the weathering of sulfur-bearing rocks. It's a combination of iron and sulfuric acid that fascinated the alchemists. Sulfuric acid became the fire that drove hundreds of chemical reactions. It's a powerful corrosive that eats away flesh and all metals except gold. Physiologically, the fire of calcination can be experienced as the metabolic discipline or aerobic activity that tunes the body, burning off excesses from overindulgence and producing a lean and efficient body. Bodily calcination begins at the base or lead chakra at the sacral cuff at the base of the spine. On a planetary level is the fire of creation, the formation of a livable environment from molten matter in volcanic ashes. So you can see the calcination has layered meaning. It is not just talking about one thing. They apply this in many ways. Psychologically, this operation involves a destruction of ego and our attachments to material possessions. Calcination is usually a natural humbling process as we are gradually assaulted and overcome by the trials and tribulations of life, though it can be a deliberate surrender of our inherent hubris gained through a variety of spiritual disciplines that ignite the fire of introspection and self-evaluation in society Calcination is expressed in, listen to this, the lives of revolutionaries, <clears throat> conquerors, and other warriors who try to overthrow the status quo. The alchemists believed a subject of transformation could be purified by breaking it down. We see this same thing practiced on military recruits in basic training. The personality is systematically broken down and then built back up. In the image, the superior officer thinks will be most effective. Dissolution. In the lab, the second operation involves dissolving the ashes from calcination and water, acid, or another solution. The ashes are sometimes called the salt of the stone, sal salis, which is the inner matrix that carries all the essences that later become the philosopher's stone. And summing up the important transition from the operation of calcination to dissolution, Daniel Stolistus wrote in Chemical Lust Garletian, the fiery man will sweat and become hot in the fire. Also, he will resolve his body and carry it far through moisture. Psychologically, dissolution represents a further breaking down of artificial structures of the psyche, a total immersion in the unconscious, 
the rejected part of our consciousness. Within the alchemist, the dissolving water of dissolution can take the form of dreams, voices, visions, and strange feelings, which reveal a less ordered and less rational world existing simultaneously with our everyday life. During dissolution, the conscious mind lets go of control to allow the surfacing of buried material and tied up energy. Does that sound like Freud? It should, because all of this shit comes from old occultism. <sighs> Disillusion can be experienced as flow, the bliss of well-being and actively engaged in creative acts without personal hang-ups or established hierarchy getting in the way. Oh, what could be a creative act without a personal hang-up? Who, who knows? It could be anything, right? In society, the process of steady growth through gradual disillusion is exemplified by monastic, nature-based, or agrarian lifestyles. Physiologically, dissolution is the continuance of the kundalini experience. Oh, okay. Opening yourself up to demonic activity, the opening up of energy channels in the body to recharge and elevate every single cell. On the planetary level, dissolution is the great flood, the cleansing of the earth of all that is inferior. Again, who decides what is inferior and what is not? Dissolution describes the opening of the body to demonic activity, the further breaking down of the psyche of the human, making them more suggestible. We'll go ahead and move on. You can read what each thing is here of this seven-step alchemical process, separation. Um, I'll just go down to where it is psychologically, the process of rediscovering our essence and reclaiming of dream and visionary gold previously rejected by the masculine or rational part of our mind. So there you go. <laughs> Breaking down of habits and crystallized thoughts, assumptions, beliefs, and pre prejudices and hardened feelings, emotional blockages, neuroses, and phobas. This misspent energy is now available to drive our spiritual transformation. In cities, separation is expressed as the establishment of clans, cities, and nationalities. So it's the process of filtering out what is seen as impure or inferior qualities and then discarding them. Then there's conjunction. So this goes through the um, laboratory experience. Physiologically, conjunction is using the body's sexual energies for personal transformation or sex magic. In society, it is the growth of crafts and technology to master the environment. So th this is old occultism applied by taking the things left after breaking down and filtering things out and then merging them together to create a new substance, personality, or technology. Fermentation. You know, I'm, you know, mm -hmm. you, okay. So you remember the, the, the presentation I put together about, um, the, about the planes and 9-11? Yes. When did the the media narrative really start to take over as far as like just being cohesive as one big unit? 
it was pretty much after mm-hmm. that, right? Probably, yeah. But that whole conjunction thing to me, it was like that was that marriage right there between the narrative and the media, and then the use of that technology with um, what was the other word that they had used with it? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I mean, it, it was, it's from the previous paragraph. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. T- the, you know, technology to master the environment. Oh, okay, right. So right. meaning, meaning, uh, media. Yeah, you can apply this to many things, not just the environment. Technology to master whatever it is that they're, you know, using. But the environment. On. Yeah. Yeah, but the environment meaning control of the people. Right. That that's the you know when I say environment, I mean that's very broad. Yeah. That's what this is. So the, you can see, though, how they are doing this, right? How they are applying this to things like psychology um, and other, you know, dialectics, right, of the, their revolutionary process. So this continues. You guys read the rest of this yourself. Read the rest of these. Fermentation. Think about what that is, right? The death of the feeble or unstable child of the conjunction, the prior operation that, listen to this, will eventually result in its resurrection to a new level of being. Oh, okay. So um, this again talks about kundalini energy in the body. I see this, of course, as um, a process of letting something symbolically die or decay and becoming reborn with a new consciousness. They do these in these Masonic rituals. They go through a ritual of fake death and rebirth, right? Breaking down the personality of the initiate or the population, steering it into a new belief system. Distillation, that's another one. The agitation or sublimation of psychic forces necessary to ensure no impurities from the inflated ego are still there, right? So... um, Distillation is manipulating the person who is now open to occult forces and agitating them or using subliminal psychic forces that lead to collectivization as the will becomes subordinate to the will of the master occultist or high priest that guides their initiatory process. There's always the hierophant, the high priest, the initiator into the mysteries that these people basically become slaves of the high priest, the hierophant. Then there's coagulation. So that is um, physiological and psychological processes to create a second body, a light body that emerges from the crown chakra, the final stage of the alchemical ritual in which an astral or light body is created on a societal level. It refers to a higher state of consciousness and collectivism of a shared reality based on occult truth and false light. We can now see how the technocratic elites, occultists in their own right, have applied these concepts. Hegel used them to form dialectics, and the managerial class uses them to manipulate the masses. Recall what Bertrand Russell said about the dictatorship of the future. Educators would become like initiators or high priests, indoctrinating and psychologically crippling youth so they cannot conceive of acting outside of the system. Then we get into Sargent's book, The Battle for the Mind, The Mechanics of Indoctrination, Brainwashing, and Control. 
we'll skip down. Um, so today's managerial class, these are the techniques that undergird today's managerial class. They have been created quite purposefully via these processes to think of themselves as superior and malevolent, right? Oh, they're just doing this for the greater good, blah, blah, blah. The educators have indoctrinated them fully and they now represent the system of world governance. You can read this part for yourself about how they operate in the modern world. Davos, of course, is mentioned. To put quite simply, the technocratic managerial class is the scientific dictatorship of the future that Russell outlined. They don't use real science. They use scientism to continue the dialectical process which leads to pseudosciences like critical race theory. They want a constant state of revolution to keep the masses in a reactionary mode, avoiding any threatening, offensive acting mode. This is why there's no end to what the managers seek. Yesterday it was accepting gays and gay marriage, then bake the cake, bigot, then 72 genders, now boys can be girls, and so on and so on. Conclusion, the technocratic managerial class that rules our world today uses dialectics as a continual process of transforming and controlling the masses in society. Lenin described this, saying that history, in fact, is not organic or natural, but that it can be guided using dialectics and occult techniques. Having negated any semblance of human rights, the revolution never ends because it is the means by which the elites steer and control society. There is no end, only induced response to applied stimuli. Technocracy and techno-utopianism posits that all problems are technical problems to be solved, all the way down to eugenics. They never once stop to think perhaps something is a mystery to be contemplated. Or, or that basically mission has been accomplished because no the, end. right yeah it's it's the ouroboros it's the it's the basically just continue yes. oh we solve this problem we need to solve this problem hey and, the, and that 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 line's perfect at the end maybe we just stop and contemplate things for a while maybe we just let this thing simmer for a little bit that's you a know? good point bringing up the ouroboros symbol that's perfect for the way that they view things is this just continual process and they don't stop like we were talking about with the efficiency, productivity. There is no Christian morality that says maybe we've gone too far. Maybe we don't actually try this. You know, maybe it's not a good idea, but they don't think this way, guys, because it, it, to them, it's not really possible. Too much is never enough. And I want to close with this fantastic quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, I live in the managerial age, in a world of admin. The greatest evil is not now done in those sordid dens of crime that Dickens loved to paint. It is not done even in concentration camps and labor camps. In those we see its final result, but it is conceived and ordered, moved, seconded, carried and minuted, in clean, carpeted, warmed, and well-lighted offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voices. Hence, naturally enough, my symbol for hell 
is something like the bureaucracy of a police state for the office of a thoroughly nasty business concern. I believe he understood perfectly how evil the technocrats are. They have used technological, psychological, and scientific developments to further their control of society, and they will continue to do so if not opposed and stopped. And I like this poem to describe them, their minds. Your ideas are terrifying and your hearts are faint. Your acts of pity and cruelty are absurd, committed with no real calm, as if they were irresistible. Finally, you begin to fear blood more and more, blood and time. As Cormac McCarthy from the book Blood Meridian or The Evening Redness, and he's describing uh, Europeans at that point versus the Chinese um, during the time of like the uh, Wild West uh, during American society. And um, I find this very interesting because it is very much like the elite class. Their acts of pity and cruelty are absurd and they do fear blood and time. They try to make themselves immortal because they fear death. They also fear their own people more than anything else. They understand that they are not well liked, you know, and, and they're just what what do they live for other than their themselves and their own material like gain that they cannot take with them when they die. This is why it is absurd, but they do it anyway. So I actually feel bad for these people and I pray for them. Because I guarantee a lot of them were raised in this sort of occult processes and probably had their personalities broken down and remolded into what the what they are today. So <laughs> with that, we're going to pass it over to Mo. Um, I hope you guys find that interesting and at least something to think about. Thank you. Good show, Radix. Thank you. And actually, I have read that. Um, they use sodomy to speed up that Kundalini process. Uh, oh my process. God, yes. And they like to do it like to children, right? It's a, a, before right. the age of like 10 or something where they want right. to do that to them. It's so disgusting. That's what they're talking about in these rituals. That's the kind of sick stuff that they do. And it opens you up to this like demonic activity where these de demonic forces, psychic forces, whatever you want to call them, can work through you and your body. You do not have the natural barrier and veil yes. that you have, like that God gives you to pr prevent that from happening. Right, to protect you from the spirit world. You're right. Yeah. I agree. Jeez. <laughs> this, these Good people. show. <laughs> I, I do actually feel bad for them. Yeah, I do. I do too. And you know, <laughs> if you go on Instagram, it's just full. It, our culture is leaning. It's teaching young people, you know, how many bags do you have? And it's just so superficial. It's so oh, yeah. And there's so much occultism on Instagram and pedophile stuff too. It's yeah. almost like they are trying to initiate children into occultism into their like their mindset right absolutely it's, yeah that's why they do this stuff in like music and 
well, you music. know, pop culture, they're always putting out these symbols. And as you've heard, those symbols are not innocuous. They have meanings encoded in them that bypasses your conscious mind and goes into the subliminal unconscious where they can then fester who knows what it does, but it does have an effect on you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, All right. have a good one. Good have night, a good everybody. night. Hi guys out there. How's everybody doing tonight? Um, I have no idea what I'm going to cover. I have a couple things. I, I, Speaking of what Radix was speaking on, I was just actually reading something earlier that ties right in. So I think we're going to skip what I had prepared and go to that. But we'll see where the evening takes us. Let me just, we'll play this first and then we'll get going. What if everything we've been taught really is a lie? Who controls us? What are these people doing? It's a big club and you ain't in it. You and I are not in it. But things are changing. This is the Moab Show and we are breaking the spell. Moab show and we are breaking the spell. Spell, spell. That's right. POTUS is staying up on my opener. Uh, that 